0: Thank you for the reading and thank you for being here this afternoon. We're grateful that you're back and we hope that it's a profitable time for you. Very thankful to those of you who may be visiting. I do want to say that Sister Sharon Murphy was baptized on Tuesday in addition to Mary Sanders. And so we're very grateful for her obedience and we're glad to have her. She is sitting to my left and she had been watching Counterpoint and came to an understanding of the truth and so has obeyed the gospel and we wish her well. She wants to be a great influence in the kingdom and so we're f- so thankful for her and the example that she has set. So I want to wish her well as she begins her Christian life. We're looking at 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse 21 where Peter said and the long ago that Jesus left us an example that we should walk in His steps, quite frankly, trying to walk in the footsteps of Jesus is very difficult because of the standard that He set before us. You remember the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the church at Corinth, encouraged those people to be followers of Him as He was of Christ. And so Paul there simply saying that the church was to follow in his footsteps insofar as he followed in the footsteps of Jesus. And then in Philippians chapter 2 at verse 5, Paul would encourage the people in Philippi to develop the mind of Christ. And so what we want to do is have a Christ-like attitude in life, to try to the best of our ability to walk in His footsteps, to be what He would have us to be, as we sang a moment ago to allow the Lord to stamp deep in our heart His image upon us. So what does it mean to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and to really strive to make ourselves more fit for service in His kingdom? It would seem to me that if we're trying to become people more fit for service in the kingdom of God, then we would want to try to walk in the footsteps of the King and His kingdom. So what I want to do is just share with you some thoughts that I think will help us as we live the Christian life and to understand that as we try to measure up to the standard that He has set before us, it takes a lot of work, a lot of effort. And there are times in my life when I feel woefully Uh, I feel as if I woefully miss that mark. But that's the goal nonetheless. And so with that in mind, let me just share with you some thoughts that relate to Jesus as our great example. Number one, He was consecrated. Now there are a lot of things that we could talk about concerning Christ. But one of the things that really stands out to me about the life of Christ is that He understood His mission here upon planet Earth. You remember when he and his family had gone to the city of Jerusalem to observe the Passover. And Jesus was just a boy and he had been left behind. So when his parents found him later, you remember Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. So at just the tender age of 12, here's Jesus saying, I must be about the work of my Father. In John chapter 4, at verse 34, Jesus would say, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me, to finish His work. In chapter 6, verse 38 of the book of John, again, Jesus would say, I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. So everything that Jesus did was done in an effort to Satisfy the will of the Father. And so he was consecrated to that task. You remember in John chapter 17 in the shadow of the cross, Jesus said, I've glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. When Jesus struggled with the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, three times Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. So as I think about the great example of Christ, first and foremost to understand that my life is to be consecrated to Him. Paul said that we are to no longer live for ourselves, but rather for Him who died and rose again. So everything in my life is to be patterned after Christ. I'm trying to walk in the footsteps of Christ, and I'm trying to live a consecrated life. To borrow the words of Jesus, I'm trying to be about the Father's business. And that would be spiritual in nature. And that's our goal. I don't think it's by accident that Luke in Acts chapter 2 said concerning the early church that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. And so the idea is steadfastly, They had committed themselves to serving the Lord, and that would also include their worship to God. But they were consecrated. And so think about what the church could do today if every member was committed 100% to the cause. Didn't Jesus say, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? That life is to revolve around the kingdom and the work of the King. Then there's a second thought I want to share with you. First, we said that He was consecrated. But then secondly, Jesus was identified in Scripture as a communicator. It's often been said that He was the master teacher, and there's a reason for that. He had the ability to connect with people, didn't He? Matter of fact, Jesus had the innate ability to connect with people of all walks of life, not just to His own kinsmen in the flesh, that being the Jews, but also to those who would be identified as Gentiles, those outside that covenant relationship with God. It was said in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus began teaching very important characteristics that were to be embedded in the lives of those who would be His disciples. And He talked about a number of different subjects. And you remember He talked about how their righteousness was to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. In other words, it was to go beyond the surface. It was to be internalized in their lives. At the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, the Bible says that those who were present were astonished at His doctrine. Why? because He taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. Jesus had the ability to effectively communicate the will of God to people. The Lord Himself said, it's written in the Prophets, they shall all be taught by God. Look at the life of Jesus. Go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and examine those different narratives of His life. And note, if you would, the emphasis regarding the teaching and preaching Of Jesus. He was very effective. And his message, no doubt, resonated with a lot of people. Matter of fact, in John chapter 6, there Jesus said that he was that living bread that came down from heaven. And you remember those who heard that message, many of them went back and walked no more with him. Jesus then asked this question Will you also go away? And Peter spoke up and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. Peter understood that there was something special about the message of Jesus. Only to hear the Lord say later, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So there was this exclusive bedrock of material that Jesus taught that was to be applied to life, internalized, to be lived out every day. Now I say all that to simply say that as people who are trying to follow in the footsteps of Jesus... We have been summoned to answer the Great Commission, haven't we? Didn't Jesus say, Go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? In verse 20 He said, Teaching them to observe all things. Before a person can become a disciple of Christ, they have to be taught. Once they become a disciple, again, teaching is needed. In other words, we're trying to ground them in the faith. I've never felt like that I was a very effective personal worker, per se. But I've known some people that are very, very good when it comes to personal work, and they have the ability to sit down and talk to people one-on-one about the gospel. Well, our task, our job, is to not live as if we're on an island alone, but rather our goal is to share the gospel with the lost and dying world. Don't you think it's interesting in Acts chapter 8, when the church was being persecuted and the disciples were being scattered abroad, that Luke said that those who had been scattered abroad went everywhere, and what were they doing? Preaching the Word, sowing the seed of the kingdom. And so they were sowing that seed. Now Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, the seed of the kingdom is the Word of God. I can't share with somebody what I don't know. I can't sow the seed of the kingdom if I don't know God's Word. And so I have to make time in my life to study, to learn, to grow, so that I can share with others what the Bible teaches. You remember Peter said, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready to give an answer that is an apologetic, a defense to everyone who asks you. And so to have the ability to sit down and say, okay, here's what the Bible teaches. To show people that there is a better way of life. Now there's a third thing I want to share with you. And that is that Jesus was not just consecrated. Not only was He an effective communicator, but I want to submit to you, He was courageous. When you begin looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what really stands out about the life of Christ that His ministry was often met with any number of people who were hostile, adversarial. They didn't like His message. They weren't receptive to Him as the Messiah, the one who came to establish a kingdom. I can't help but think about it in John chapter 5. When Jesus told the Jews of His day, search the Scriptures... For in them you think you have eternal life. These are they which testify me. He said, but you're not willing to come to me that you might have life. Later in that same chapter, Jesus would say again to those unbelieving Jews, Think not that I will accuse you to the Father. No, there's one who will accuse you, Moses, in whom you trust. You see, they revered Moses, the great leader of ancient Israel, the one who was identified as the lawgiver. And what Jesus was saying is, look, this man whom you admire, esteem, reverence, he wrote about me. And if you don't believe his writings, how are you going to believe my words? So to come to understand that he was the Messiah. And so over and over again, what do we read about? The scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the Herodians. Time and again, they were adversarial. And they were trying to somehow smother his message. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to do away with him. And yet yet Jesus was very courageous time and again. Now I want you to think about those of us who live today on planet Earth. There are people today that have become somewhat hostile. matter of fact, I'd say they've become very hostile when it comes to Christianity. There are some that just don't like Christianity in any form. There are some who are hostile when it comes to the very narrow teaching of Jesus, aren't they? They don't like what He has to say. Do you remember in Acts chapter 4 when Peter and John had been commanded not to teach or preach in the name of Christ? And they said to the Jewish Sanhedrin body, We can't but speak the things which we have seen and heard. The Bible tells us that after having met with the Sanhedrin Council, that Jewish hierarchy, that they later went back and rehearsed the things that had taken place with their fellow disciples. And the Bible tells us that they prayed to God for boldness. In Acts chapter 4, the Bible says that they spoke the Word of God with boldness. It takes courage to live the Christian life. It takes courage to say, you know what, I'm not going to do that, even though our peers and those around us may be putting pressure on us to conform, to compromise, but to be willing to stand even when it hurts sometimes. Do you remember the Apostle Paul when he wrote to Timothy? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he said, All who will live godly in Christ Jesus... Will suffer persecution. Matter of fact, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Does it take courage and boldness to live for God in the 21st century? The answer is yes. In many ways, we stick out to a lost and dying world, don't we? And why is that? Because there's something to be different about our character, our conduct, our speech. Peter said that we are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, whom He has called forth out of darkness into His marvelous light. There's a fourth thing I want to share with you about Jesus. And that is, Jesus was challenging. I mentioned a moment ago that He was a very effective communicator when it came to the truth of God. But Jesus often challenged people to rise above the life that they were living. Do you remember in John chapter 4 when Jesus sat at Jacob's well and had a conversation with that woman of Samaria? And Jesus is talking to this woman that's been married five times. She's now living with a guy. Number one, why would he be interested in somebody like that? with that kind of sordid past? I mean, surely there are better candidates out there. No, Jesus spent time with her because she had a soul. And because in His mind, she was worth something. Now, there are times when we put a value on certain material goods. and nothing wrong with that. But how much do we value the soul? Jesus valued the soul. He was interested in the soul. He invested in the soul, didn't He? And so here's Jesus making a difference in this lady's life. Matter of fact, she went back to her own people and said, come see a man that's told me all the things that I've ever done. Over in chapter 5, Jesus healed a man that had been lame, paralyzed for 38 years. You remember what He said to him? Go your way and sin no more, lest a worse thing befall you. I think we could learned by way of implication that possibly he had engaged in some type of activity that led to his paralysis. Now, be that as it may, Jesus challenged him to rise above his former life, his former conduct. What about in John chapter 8? You remember the occasion when the woman was brought before Jesus and they said that she had been taken in the very act of adultery. I don't, think she was, I don't think that they were really interested in truth, nor were they interested in her as a human being. What they wanted to do, again, was somehow to entrap Jesus. But Jesus turned to that woman and He said, Go your way and sin no more. He challenged people. And so as, a, as Christians today, Don't you think we have the responsibility of challenging people? Number one, challenging them to a better way of life. There are people in our world today, you think they're really happy? They're just kind of going through the motions. And they're not really intent on fulfilling genuine purpose in their life. They just kind of aimlessly go through day-to-day activities. But to understand that we have something to offer people. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 10? I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus was saying to the people of his day, look, you want to enjoy an abundant life. It's in me. So when people talk today about being discontent, dissatisfied, unhappy, life's just not what they thought it would be. And we might ask this question. If we were to sit down with people that we know, whether it's by occupation, people we work with, people we go to school with, people that we live around in the neighborhood, if we were to just have a very frank discussion with people and ask them, do you like life? Are you happy with life? Are you where you want to be in this this life? I have no doubt some people would say, yes, I'm happy, I'm content, life's good. But there are some folks that would say, absolutely not. And so to challenge people and to let them know, look, there's a better way of life. Jesus said, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, the promise being I'll give you rest. And so we have something to offer people that can't be bought in a store, can't be found in the world, but rather to point people to the full purpose of life. What is that purpose? Remember what Jesus, rather, rather, you remember what Solomon said? Fear God, keep His commands. This is the whole of man, this is man's all. So we challenge people that there is a better way of life, and then there are some people in the world today, you know as well as I, that they are living beneath themselves. They're so caught up in, sadly, a life of sin. That wasn't the life that their their parents pictured for them. Probably not even the life that they imagined for themselves. But that's where they are. And so to tell people, look, you don't have to live the way you live. Look at the life of Jesus. When Jesus spent time in the home of Matthew, Matthew was what, a a tax collector? You remember the religious leaders chided him, chided his disciples. Why would you spend time, why would you eat with tax collectors and sinners? I mean, don't you know, Lord, these people are not worthy of your time and attention? Well, why do you think Jesus spent time with them? Because he was saying, look, you don't have to live where you are in the muck and mire of sin. Again, John chapter 4, the woman of Samaria. Don't you think Jesus was challenging her and saying, you know what, there is a lot better way of life for you. You don't have to live as you are today. You don't have to live with guilt and the burden of guilt. Rather, I've got something that can give you a whole new identity. It's in Christ. So to challenge people and to tell people, look, you don't have to live as you're living. You can do better than that. Saul of Tarsus. Who would have imagined that this man would have become the evangelist that he did? Here's a guy that became a missionary, a preacher, a teacher, an inspired penman, an example, an encouragement, The Apostle Paul became a great servant of God. And the Lord needed him, and he used him effectively, didn't he? Now, there's another thought I want to share with you, a fifth thing about Jesus. And that is, he was compassionate, wasn't he? You think people in our world today need compassion? If we walk in the footsteps of Jesus, doesn't it stand to reason that we would be compassionate toward our fellow man? In Mark chapter 1, we read about a leper, and lepers were outcast in the first century. And they were deemed unclean by the law. And yet, here was a man that approached Jesus, knelt before Him, and said, Lord, if You're willing, You can make me clean. You remember what Mark said about that account? Mark writes in chapter 1 that Jesus was moved with compassion. Are we compassionate? The Bible says that he was a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. The Hebrew writer went on to say that we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus had the ability to feel with, and he continues to have the ability to feel with us. He's been here. He's experienced what we have. And so there are people in the world today, they need compassion. I would add to that one final thought, and that is, he cared. He genuinely cared about people, didn't he? It's often been said that people don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. The people in the world know that as Christians, we care about them. Paul spent a lot lot of time trying to emphasize the compassion and care that we ought to have for one another. And why do you think that is? Because Jesus was compassionate. Because Jesus cared about people. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12. Paul said, rejoice with those that rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Is that not a demonstration of compassion and care for our fellow man? You remember in Galatians chapter 6 at verse 2? Well, in verse 1, he talked about those who were overtaken in a fault. That is, their life wasn't, wasn't where it needed to be, spiritually speaking. And so Paul said, you who are spiritual, restore such a one to have compassion on people. Even those who are in the body of Christ, they get caught up in a life of sin. To be compassionate and to care enough to try to reach out and help them. To bring them back. The prodigal in Luke 15. Oh, I know what the prodigal did, and I know the depth of his sin. And I know the heartbreak that he caused his family, his father especially. But you know what? When that young fellow came to himself, what does the Bible say about him? Remember he went home? Father saw him a great way off. And what did he do? Ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. He said, this my son was dead, but is alive. Lost, but found. So, to understand something about the spiritual needs of people. And to try to meet people where they are. That's what Jesus did. I think that's one of the reasons why people were drawn to him. Why his message resonated because they could see in him somebody who was genuinely interested, compassionate, yes, caring, no question. And then in verse 2, Paul would say, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Are there people in the world hurting today? Know anybody that you work with who's hurting? Know anybody like that? Know anybody in your neighborhood that, I mean, is really hurting right now? Jared and I spent time with a family this past week who lost a loved one. They were shattered. Understandably so. And we have the opportunity to let people know when they are hurting and hurting deeply, when they've been cut deeply, that we care about them. Paul would say in Galatians chapter 6 that we're not to grow weary in doing good. But he said, we shall reap if we faint not. In verse 10 he said, let us as we have opportunity do good unto all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. So we can show others how much we care about them when we minister to them or try to meet their needs, whether those needs are physical in nature, emotional, or spiritual. Jesus had time for people, didn't He? It really goes back to, you know, we live in a society today when people are busy. When I I was, I remember when I was just a young fellow in Chattanooga, The neighborhood that I lived in, everybody knew everybody, if you know what I'm talking about. We knew all of our neighbors, and we had a lot of, there were a lot of kids in the neighborhood, and we played and did all kinds of things together, but not just the kids knew one another, but the parents knew one another. Not like that today, is it? I mean, you live beside a neighbor for years and really never know them. It's just a different world but to take time, to spend time with people and to let them know that we care. And listen, when we talk about showing care for others, it might be that they're hurting and we can tell them, look, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are to cast our cares on Him. That's on the Lord. Why? Because He cares for us. So let me close by asking this question. Are you following in the footsteps of Jesus? Now look, I get it. They don't make shoes like that anymore. But we have the responsibility of trying our best to follow in His steps. So I encourage all of us to become more Christ-like in thought, in word, and deed. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I encourage you, Make the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life, and that is to become a Christian. To obey the gospel, to enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. And listen, we need the blood because of sin. And the Bible says all have sinned, all have come short of the glory of God. So if you would come in simple trusting faith, turning away from the ways of the world, Being baptized into Christ, the Bible says you'll be saved, Mark 16, 16. Paul said you'll enjoy the washing away of your sins, and you'll stand before the Lord pure and just in His eyes. You'll be a part of the church, that body that God has promised to save. If you're here today and maybe your life's not what it ought to be, and maybe you just need the prayers of the church, You need people to pray with you and for you. It might be that you're facing difficulties in life and you just need people to pray for you. It might be that you haven't been the kind of example that you want to be or maybe know you should be. So you want people to pray for you, to help you become stronger. Look, we're not here to judge anybody. We're here to try to help people. That's the business we're in, trying to help people. So if you have any need whatsoever, I encourage you to come as we stand and sing.